The psalm she has chosen is Psalm 92, which is a psalm for the Sabbath day. It is good to praise the Lord, to make music in your name almost high, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad, Lord, by your deeds. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. Senseless people do not know, fools do not understand, that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are forever exalted. For surely your enemies, Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured on me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the root of the wicked loss, foes. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow up like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will still stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's such a privilege to be here and standing before you today and to see, of course, so many wonderful, familiar faces. And, of course, a very warm welcome to everyone who's watching online. And I think it'd be wise to start with a quick prayer, if we may. Lord, I pray that I would be led by your spirit and be faithful to your word. Let us have ears to listen and a heart to receive. Amen. Now, about a month or so ago, I was given the option of choosing any one of the Psalms to talk about today, and Psalm 92 caught my attention, so I chose that. It was subsequently impressed upon me that I must keep to time. Now, that is a difficult task for any lawyer, but as it turned out, it was particularly challenging when dealing with such a densely packed psalm as this turned out to be. And as a consequence, I need to start this talk with a little bit of a caveat. This will not be a comprehensive analysis of Psalm 92. Yet frankly, I don't have time for that in the slightest. So rather, my intention is to focus on a few key aspects that particularly caught my attention. And what I'd like to primarily focus on today is verses... 14 and 15, the affirmative statement by the psalmist that they will bear fruit in old age, although I will come back to some of the earlier verses later in the talk. And whilst I fully accept that fruitfulness in this context may have a number of different meanings, what I have chosen to focus on today is our fruitfulness in the life of the church, in our mission and our service to others. And I think it's 
particularly important to address this topic because of the ageism that exists in our society and can sometimes infect our way in thinking at times even in the church. So often I see a worryingly pervasive narrative that somehow when you reach a certain age, your utility comes to an end or somehow your skills are not as valuable, you're outdated or you should step aside and let the young ones take over. And I think this is so toxic because it allows uh, two negative ways in which this worldly narrative can infect our thinking. The first way is that we might take some comfort in it. We might say, well, you know what, I've done, I've done my bit. I'm tired. Someone else can take over now. I, I pass the baton on. And I think the second way it can infect our thinking is that we allow it to demoralize us. We say, well, what use can we be? We, we can't really help. And I think in allowing either of these modes of thinking, we limit what God can do with our talents. We limit our fruitfulness. And I would like to address the fallacy of each mode of thinking in turn today. So the first danger, the I've done my bit or I can opt out danger. And I'm afraid if that's your position, I don't think there's, I've not seen or I'm certainly not aware of anything in the scriptures that supports you. It's always hard to establish a negative, but I'm afraid the Bible indicates that each one of us has been given the same imperative instruction. And we can see that in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. It says, Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So pausing there for a moment, it's quite apparent that there is no age caveat there. There's no qualification, like so we sometimes hear on the radio, this is a time limit of instruction, only applicable to ages 70 and under, T's and C's apply. No, we don't see anything of that nature here. This is a commandment that each one of us, as followers of Christ, has been given by Jesus himself, and regrettably or otherwise, there's no expiration date. And I think we can see that to some extent reflected in the life of Paul and the way he encourages us to run our race of faith. He talks about encouraging us to run this race of faith to the end. In Hebrews 12, verse 1, we see, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, or 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, where he Paul references his impending death and says in that context, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul is a perfect illustration of how each one of us as followers of Christ have to keep fighting to be a witness to Christ to the end. And lest you take this all as sort of a boring imperative, a chore and instruction, let's remind ourselves that the ability to witness of the goodness of God is actually presented as a blessing. This is what we're seeing in Psalm 92, this proclamation of blessing at the end of the psalm. And in verses 14 and 15, it says, they will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, speaking out, proclaiming God's goodness. The Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. Now, 
I do pause here because I'm conscious that there may be a little bit of internal eye-rolling amongst some of you who say, well, you know what, Annalisa, just wait till you're my age and then see how much energy you have. And I, I do sympathise with that, I do. But I think, with respect, that is to a large extent missing the point because I'm not suggesting that you have to get up and run around. In fact, I'm not telling you that you need to do anything. I'm saying that each one of us needs to spend time actively listening to God and then do what he guides us to do. Because after all, God knows each one of us and he knows our limitations and he knows what each one of us can do and how he can make that fruitful. And I think in this context, it's important to remember that God desires obedience and not sacrifice. That's what we see in 1 Samuel 15 and Proverbs 21. It's not what you have that it's relevant, but rather the willingness to give what you have. And you don't have to do something which you perceive to be significant or valuable. You just need to do the thing that God asks you to do and let him bless it, to listen and obey. And I recently came across what I think is a really, touched me as a very um, beautiful illustration of this. Um, I don't know how many of you have heard of or know of the late night talk show host Stephen Colbert. Perhaps you don't, but um, he has the most watched late night show in America and has done for the last five consecutive years and has an average total viewer audience of approximately three million per show. And he's quite a cerebral individual who's been able to use that platform to make some statements of faith to his viewership in, other, in what would otherwise be quite a secular context. And you can go and Google this online. It was one of the things that didn't make the cut today for timing purposes. But some interesting statements of faith, intelligent statements of faith. And so I asked, well, what began that journey? What led to him having that conviction that he could speak out in that way? And if I can read an extract of his testimony, as he gave it in an interview, it was at the age of, he was 22 years old, and he says, I was convicted of my own atheism, and I had lost my faith in God, and to my own great grief, I was sort of convinced that I'd been wrong all this time and had been taught something that wasn't true. And I was walking down the street and someone handed to me a New Testament, Proverbs and Psalms. I opened it up to the little glossary at the front and it said the verses to read based upon da-da-da and it said anxiety. So I went to anxiety and it was Matthew 6. So I say to you, do not worry. And I was absolutely immediately lightened and for the first time, I understood the real meaning of the phrase. It spoke to me. It read off the page. The words of Christ just read off the page. It was no effort. I stood in the street corner in the cold and read the sermon. And my life has never been the same. So if we can just pause and reflect on that a moment. Because somebody was simply prepared to listen to God and to hand out a New Testament Psalms and Proverbs to a complete random stranger on the street, that person's life was completely changed, and he's now a witness to three million-odd a night of his faith. 
a seemingly very little contribution can have a huge impact, and you might never know what that impact is. I suspect the person who handed out that New Testament Psalms and Proverbs never found out what happened. But if we listen to what God tells us to do, and we are obedient to his instruction, God has the power to bless it and to make it fruitful. We need to listen and obey. Now, the second danger I alluded to at the start was, I think it's more insidious and frankly a problem that I encounter more frequently. And it's when I hear individuals counting themselves out of service because they don't think they're useful anymore. When they think that people don't want to hear them or somehow their talents are redundant. And they don't wait to hear what God might be asking them to do. And in so doing, they limit God's ability to work through them and they inadvertently curtail their fruitfulness. And it really grieves me to see it. It grieves me to see it because it's just wrong. It's wrong. It runs counter to the promise in Psalm 92. And if you'll tolerate me reading that, the end section again, it says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. And obviously that's critical, but planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. That's God's promise to you. God's promise is that you will bear fruit. You are useful and you continue to be wanted to advance God's kingdom. Because at the end of the day, it's not what we have that really matters, is it? It's what God can do with that. And as we forget, this is the God who made the world out of nothing, man out of dust, streams in the desert, and who delights in using the weak to implement his plan. How can age or any perception of our own limitation impede God's ability to use us? And I think we only need to look at the Bible and a few examples in the Bible to know that's true. I'm just going to three very quickly. We have Abraham and Sarah back in Genesis, and the Bible refers to them as very old, or sometimes in some translations they're a bit more tactful than, say, advanced in years. And the notion that they could have a child at that age was laughable. And what was the Lord's response to that in Genesis 1 verse 8? Sorry, 18. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And of course we know it isn't, because they went on to have Isaac, which means laughter, when Abraham was 100 years old. Or we see a similar story in relation to Zechariah and Elizabeth, who had John the Baptist, a very important figure who went forth ahead of the Messiah proclaiming his imminent arrival. The Lord called them for this task, and Zechariah's response to the angel of the Lord was effectively, really? And then I quote, I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. I like that he was a bit more tactful. My wife is well along in years, not not old. But the response by the angel, I always think, is fantastic. In Luke 1, verse 19, he says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And if you will permit me to paraphrase this, to really ram home the point... The angel effectively responds to Zechariah and says, are you kidding me? 
don't you know who I am? I stand before the Most High God, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the person through whom all things are made and continue to have their existence. And he told me to tell you this good thing is going to happen. And you're questioning his ability to get it done because of your own perception of your limitation. What is wrong with you? And I think that speech is often applicable to a lot of us who limit our ability to serve by reference to what we perceive we can do rather than by what God can do through us. And then finally, the third example, lest I give the impression that it's all about uh, babies and old age. Of course, we have the prophets Simeon and Anna in the New Testament. Both advanced in years. Anna was 84 years old, and they'd been interceding in the temple, praying in the arrival of the Messiah. And their faithfulness, their contribution is recorded and it's honoured in the New Testament. There's no limit to how God can use us if we listen to what he wants us to do and obey. We have to listen and obey. And I did promise at the beginning that I would come back to some of the earlier scriptures. And I think uh, verses in, the, in Psalm 92, and it's goes to how do we encourage that fruitfulness in our life? How do we stay planted in the Lord? And I want to pick up, first of all, what we see in verses 1 to 3. It's good to praise the Lord. First of all, we need to praise the Lord. We need to worship the Lord. We know that God inhabits the praises of his people. We need to draw close to him and worship him in spirit and in truth so we might give him that opportunity to speak to us. Because frankly, we don't need good ideas about what we want to do. We need to know what God wants us to do. We need God ideas. And we want to know how God is telling us to use our talents, and then he will make them fruitful. And then the second aspect that we see in verses 4 and 5 is where we see the psalmist saying, I sing for joy at what your hands have done. It's important to recall God's goodness and what he's done. But why? Why does it matter? Why do we see this reflected in the Israelites having to remember Passover and then us having to remember communion? Because it reminds us of the character of God. It reminds us that God is good and he is faithful and God is great and God is able. And if he's done it before, he can do it again. And if he got us over that last mountain, he can get us over this one. He's never left us before Why would he need us now? It builds our faith. It keeps us planted in the house of the Lord. Now, I appreciate coming to a conclusion on this, that I've turned what was superficially a slightly more gentle psalm into a call of arms, and perhaps that wasn't what was expected. But I'm afraid I don't apologize for that, because you are, each one of you, too valuable a resource You're too valuable. You should not let what God can do with your talents be limited by any perception of your own limitations. We need to listen to what God wants us to do and obey. And I'd love each and every one of us today to say to the Lord, you know, count me in. Count me in. I want to be fruitful. I'm here to serve you in whatever manner you direct me. I want to aspire to be like Paul and say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept 
the faith. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are the God who is able to make something out of nothing and can use whatever talents we offer you to bring forth fruit. We are sorry to the extent we have limited our fruitfulness by references to considerations that are not from you. We pray that you would, we would be obedient to do whatever you ask us to do, that we would have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and a willingness to act. Amen.